Section 2 of Selections from Fear and Trembling, translated by Lee M. Hollander. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eduardo. Section 2. A Panegyric on Abraham. If a consciousness of the eternal were not implanted in man, if the basis of all that exists were but a confusedly fermenting element which, convulsed by obscure passions, produced all, both the great and the insignificant, if under everything there lay a bottomless void never to be filled, what else were life but despair? If it were thus, and if there were no sacred bonds between man and man, if one generation arose after another, as in the forest, the leaves of one season succeed the leaves of another, or like the songs of birds which are taken up one after another. If the generations of man pass through the world like a ship passing through the sea and the wind over the desert, a fruitless and vain thing, if eternal oblivion were ever greedily watching for its prey and there existed no power strong enough to wrest it from its clutches, how empty were life then and how dismal! And therefore it is not thus, but just as God created man, and woman, he likewise called into being the hero and the poet or orator. The latter cannot perform the deeds of the hero. He can only admire and love him and rejoice in him. And yet he also is happy and not less so, for the hero is, as it were, his better self with which he has fallen in love, and he is glad he is not himself the hero, so that his love can express itself in admiration. The poet is the genius of memory, and does nothing but recall what has been done, can do nothing but admire what has been done. He adds nothing of his own, but he is jealous of what has been entrusted to him. He obeys the choice of his own heart, but once he has found what he has been seeking, he visits every man's door with his song and with his speech, so that all may admire the hero as he does, and be proud of the hero as he is. This is his achievement his humble work, this is his faithful service in the house of the hero. If thus, faithful to his love, he battles day and night against the guile of oblivion which wishes to lure the hero from him, then has he accomplished his task, then is he gathered to his hero who loves him as faithfully. For the poet is, as it were, the hero's better self, unsubstantial, to be sure, like a mere memory, but also transfigured as is a memory. Therefore shall no one be forgotten who has done great deeds, and even if there be delay, even if the cloud of misunderstanding obscure the hero from our vision, still his lover will come some time, and the more time has passed, the more faithfully will he cleave to him. No, no one shall be forgotten who was great in this world, but each hero was great in his own way, and each one was eminent in proportion to the great things he loved. For he who loved himself became great through himself, and he who loved others became great through his devotion. But he who loved God became greater than all of these. Every one of them shall be remembered, but each one became great in proportion to his trust. One became great by hoping for the possible, another by hoping for the eternal. But he who hoped for the impossible, he became greater than all of these. Every one shall be remembered, 
but each one was great in proportion to the power with which he strove. For he who strove with the world became great by overcoming himself, but he who strove with God, he became the greatest of them all. Thus there have been struggles in the world, man against man, one against a thousand. But he who struggled with God, he became greatest of them all. Thus there was fighting on this earth, and there was he who conquered everything by his strength, and there was he who conquered God by his weakness. There was he who, trusting in himself, gained all, and there was he who, trusting in his strength, sacrificed everything. But he who believed in God was greater than all of these. There was he who was great through his strength, and he who was great through his wisdom, and he who was great through his hopes, and he who was great through his love. But Abraham was greater than all of these, great through the strength whose power is weakness, great through the wisdom whose secret is folly, great through the hope whose expression is madness, great through the love which is hatred of oneself. Through the urging of his faith, Abraham left the land of his forefathers and became a stranger in the land of promise. He left one thing behind and took one thing along. He left his worldly wisdom behind and took with him faith. For else he would not have left the land of his fathers, but would have thought it an unreasonable demand. Through his faith he came to be a stranger in the land of promise, where there was nothing to remind him of all that had been dear to him, but where everything by its newness tempted his soul to longing. And yet was he God's chosen, he in whom the Lord was well pleased. Indeed, had he been one cast off, one thrust out of God's mercy, then might he have comprehended it. But now it seemed like a mockery of him and of his faith. There have been others who lived in exile from the fatherland which they loved. They are not forgotten, nor is the song of lament forgotten in which they mournfully sought and found what they had lost. Of Abraham there exists no song of lamentation. It is human to complain. It is human to weep with the weeping. But it is greater to believe and more blessed to consider him who has faith. Through his faith, Abraham received the promise that in his seed were to be blessed all races of mankind. Time passed. There was still the possibility of it, and Abraham had faith. Another man there was who also lived in hopes. Time passed. The evening of his life was approaching. Neither was he paltry enough to have forgotten his hopes. Neither shall he be forgotten by us. Then he sorrowed, and his sorrow did not deceive him, as life had done, but gave him all it could. For in the sweetness of sorrow he became possessed of his disappointed hopes. It is human to sorrow. It is human to sorrow with the sorrowing. But it is greater to have faith, and more blessed to consider him who has faith. No song of lamentation has come down to us from Abraham. He did not sadly count the days as time passed. He did not look at Sarah with suspicious eyes, whether she was becoming old. He did not stop the sun's course, lest Sarah should grow old and his hope with her. He did not lull her with his songs of lamentation. Abraham grew old, and Sarah became a laughingstock to the people. And yet was he God's chosen, an heir to the promise that in his seed were to be blessed all races of mankind. Were it, then, not better if he had not been God's chosen? For what is it to be God's chosen? Is it to have denied to one in one's youth all the wishes of youth, 
in order to have them fulfilled after great labor in old age? But Abraham had faith and steadfastly lived in hope. Had Abraham been less firm in his trust, then would he have given up that hope. He would have said to God, So it is, perchance, not thy will, after all, that this shall come to pass. I shall surrender my hope. It was my only one. It was my bliss. I am sincere. I conceal no secret grudge for that thou didst deny it to me. He would not have remained forgotten. His example would have saved many a one. But he would not have become the father of faith. For it is great to surrender one's hope, but greater still to abide by it steadfastly after having surrendered it. For it is great to seize hold of the eternal hope, but greater still to abide steadfastly by one's worldly hopes after having surrendered them. Then came the fullness of time. If Abraham had not had faith, then Sarah would probably have died of sorrow, and Abraham, dulled by his grief, would not have understood the fulfillment, but would have smiled about it as a dream of his youth. But Abraham had faith, and therefore he remained young. For he who always hopes for the best, him life will deceive, and he will grow old. And he who is always prepared for the worst, he will soon age. But he who has faith, he will preserve eternal youth. Praise, therefore, be to this story. For Sarah, though advanced in age, was young enough to wish for the pleasures of a mother, and Abraham, though gray of hair, was young enough to wish to become a father. In a superficial sense, it may be considered miraculous that what they wished for came to pass, but in a deeper sense, the miracle of faith is to be seen in Abraham's and Sarah's being young enough to wish, and their faith having preserved their wish and therewith their youth. The promise he had received was fulfilled, and he accepted it in faith, and it came to pass according to the promise and his faith, whereas Moses smote the rock with his staff, but believed not. There was joy in Abraham's house when Sarah celebrated the day of her golden wedding. But it was not to remain thus, for once more was Abraham to be tempted. He had struggled with that cunning power to which nothing is impossible, with that ever-watchful enemy who never sleeps, with that old man who outlives all. He had struggled with time and had preserved his faith. And now all the terror of that fight was concentrated in one moment. And God tempted Abraham, saying to him, Take now thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. All was lost then, and more terribly than if a son had never been given him. The Lord had only mocked Abraham then. Miraculously, he had realized the unreasonable hopes of Abraham and now he wished to take away what he had given. A foolish hope it had been, but Abraham had not laughed when the promise had been made him. Now all was lost, the trusting hope of seventy years, the brief joy at the fulfillment of his hopes. Who, then, is he that snatches away the old man's staff, who demands that he himself shall break it in two? Who is he that renders disconsolate the gray hair of old age? Who is he that demands that he himself shall do it? Is there no pity for the venerable old man, and none for the innocent child? And yet was Abraham God's chosen one, and yet was it the Lord that tempted him. And now all was to be lost, the glorious remembrance of him by a whole race, the promise of Abraham's seed. 
All that was but a whim, a passing fancy of the Lord, which Abraham was now to destroy forever. That glorious treasure, as old as the faith in Abraham's heart, and many, many years older than Isaac, the fruit of Abraham's life sanctified by prayers, matured in struggles, the blessing on the lips of Abraham. This fruit was now to be plucked before the appointed time, and to remain without significance. For of what significance were it if Isaac was to be sacrificed? That sad and yet blessed hour when Abraham was to take leave from all that was dear to him, the hour when he would once more lift up his venerable head, when his face would shine like the countenance of the Lord, the hour when he would collect his whole soul for a blessing strong enough to render Isaac blessed all the days of his life, that hour was not to come. He was to say farewell to Isaac, to be sure, but in such wise that he himself was to remain behind. Death was to part them, but in such wise that Isaac was to die. The old man was not in happiness to lay his hand on Isaac's head when the hour of death came, but, tired of life, to lay violent hands on Isaac. And it was God who tempted him. Woe, woe to the messenger who would have come before Abraham with such a command! Who would have dared to be the messenger of such dread tidings? But it was God that tempted Abraham. But Abraham had faith, and had faith for this life. Indeed, had his faith been but concerning the life to come, then might be more easily have cast away all in order to hasten out of this world which is not his. But Abraham had faith and doubted not, but trusted that the improbable would come to pass. If Abraham had doubted, then would he have undertaken something else, something great and noble? For what could Abraham have undertaken but was great and noble? He would have proceeded to Mount Moriah, he would have cloven the wood and fired it and unsheathed his knife. He would have cried out to God, Despise not this sacrifice, it is not, indeed, the best I have. For what is an old man against a child foretold of God? But it is the best I can give thee. Let Isaac never know that he must find consolation in his youth. He would have plunged the steel in his own breast, and he would have been admired throughout the world, and his name would not have been forgotten. But it is one thing to be admired, and another, to be a lodestar which guides one troubled in mind. But Abraham had faith. He prayed not for mercy, and that he might prevail upon the Lord. It was only when just retribution was to be visited upon Sodom and Gomorrah that Abraham ventured to beseech him for mercy. We read in Scripture, And God did tempt Abraham, and said unto him Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. You, whom I am now addressing, did you do likewise? When you saw the dire dispensations of providence approach threateningly, did you not then say to the mountains, Fall on me, and to the hills, Cover me? Or, if you were stronger in faith, did not your step linger along the way, longing for the old accustomed paths, as it were? And when the voice called you, did you answer, then, or not at all? And if you did, perchance in a low voice, or whispering, Not thus, Abraham, but gladly and cheerfully and trustingly, and with a resonant voice he made answer, Here am I. And we read further, And Abraham rose up early in the morning. He made haste, as though for some joyous occasion, and early in the morning he was in the appointed place on Mount Moriah. He said nothing to Sarah, nothing to Eliezer, his steward. For who would have understood him? Did not his temptation by its very nature demand of him the vow of silence? 
He laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. My listener! Many a father there has been who thought that with his child he lost the dearest of all there was in the world for him. Yet assuredly no child ever was in that sense a pledge of God as was Isaac to Abraham. Many a father there has been who lost his child, but then it was God, the unchangeable and inscrutable will of the Almighty, and his hand which took it. Not thus with Abraham. For him was reserved a more severe trial, and Isaac's fate was put into Abraham's hand together with the knife. And there he stood, the old man with his only hope. Yet did he not doubt, nor look anxiously to the left or right, nor challenge heaven with his prayers. He knew it was God the Almighty who now put him to the test. He knew it was the greatest sacrifice which could be demanded of him. But he knew also that no sacrifice was too great which God demanded, and he drew forth his knife. Who strengthened Abraham's arm? Who supported his right arm that it drooped not powerless? For he who contemplates this scene is unnerved. Who strengthened Abraham's soul so that his eyes grew not too dim to see either Isaac or the ram? For he who contemplates this scene will be struck with blindness. And yet, it is rare enough that one is unnerved or is struck with blindness, and still more rare that one narrates worthily what there did take place between father and son. To be sure, we know well enough, it was but a trial. If Abraham had doubted, and standing on Mount Moriah, if he had looked about him in perplexity, if he had accidentally discovered the ram before drawing his knife, if God had permitted him to sacrifice it instead of Isaac, then would he have returned home, and all would have been as before. He would have had Sarah, and would have kept Isaac. And yet how different all would have been. For then had his return been a flight, his salvation an accident, his reward disgrace, his future perchance perdition. Then would he have borne witness neither to his faith nor to God's mercy but would have witnessed only to the terror of going to Mount Moriah. Then Abraham would have not been forgotten, nor either Mount Moriah. It would be mentioned, then, not as is Mount Ararat on which the ark landed, but as a sign of terror, because it was there Abraham doubted. Venerable Patriarch Abraham, when you returned home from Mount Moriah, you required no encomiums to console you for what you had lost, for indeed, you did win all, and still kept Isaac, as we all know. And the Lord did no more take him from your side, but you sate gladly at table with him in your tent, as in the life to come you will, for all times. Venerable Patriarch Abraham, thousands of years have passed since those times, but still you need no late-born lover to snatch your memory from the power of oblivion, for every language remembers you. And yet do you reward your lover more gloriously than anyone, rendering him blessed in your bosom, and taking heart and eyes captive by the marvel of your deed. Venerable Patriarch Abraham, second father of the race, you who first perceived and bore witness to that unbounded passion which has but scorn for the terrible fight with the raging elements and the strength of brute creation in order to struggle with God, you who first felt that sublimest of all passions, you who found the holy, pure, humble expression for the divine madness which was a marvel to the heathen, forgive him who would speak in your praise, in case he did it not fittingly. He spoke humbly, as if it concerned the desire of his heart. He spoke briefly, as a seemly. 
but he will never forget that you required a hundred years to obtain a son of your old age against all expectations that you had to draw the knife before being permitted to keep isaac he will never forget that in a hundred and thirty years you never got farther than to faith end of section two recording by eduardo